Welcome to the Thorn City Syndicate Spotlight Show. This week, Lawrence Stanfield L. In this episode, we dive into Lawrence's journey, starting from his dedicated service in the U.S. Navy to his impressive legal achievements in the courtroom. We will also discuss his passion for basketball, his successful Stanfield Yard Maintenance Company, and his upcoming podcast, The Commonwealth Show. Prepare to be inspired as we engage in a profound conversation filled with valuable insights and triumphs that can potentially change your perspective on life. This episode promises to be an enlightening exploration of success, resilience, and the significant impact one person can make in the world. The One City Podcast Guy, let's go. Yes, sir. Back at it one more time. Welcome to the Thorn City Syndicate Spotlight Show, where we network and build connections through interviews and discussions. This episode is brought to you by GMP Podcast Group. I'm your host, Thorn City Podcast Guy. Make sure you visit www.thorncitysyndicate.com. Make sure you hit that like, like, share, and subscribe button. Get the new updates, episode bonuses, and up uh, new releases. Today we got a special guest in the spotlight. We got Lawrence Stanfield L. How you doing, brother? Hey man, thanks for having me on. I'm good, man. Man, thanks for coming, man. I appreciate it. So today we're gonna talk about your time in the service as a Navy vet, a little bit um, from Navy vet to your courtroom victories, and a little bit about basketball, entrepreneurship. And then the Commonwealth show. So, man, where, where you tell them? Tell me where you're from. And I was born in Portland. Born in Portland. I was born at OHSU. Man. Nice. Uh, got on the midnight train down to Los Angeles, though, right after. So, my roots are really there. So you grew up in LA. Yeah, like from a baby to. How old were you when you moved back to Portland? Uh, I think I was 22. 22. Nice. So you you, you missing LA at all? Not really, man. Not really. It's smog, ain't it? Man. Yeah, it's different. Sorry, <laughs> For all my Los Angelinos out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like L.A., but I don't know if I could live there. Great you know. place to visit. Great place to visit. Yeah. Not a great place to live. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, tell me a little bit about your time in the Navy. Um, and any valuable lessons you learned during that time and how it influenced your life ever since? Okay. Yeah, um... I graduated from high school in 2005, and I entered the service in 2006. Uh, most of my family tried to tell me not to join. They're like, boys in the hood was shot here, didn't you see? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, military ain't no place for a black man. Mm. What they didn't tell me was the Navy was the last branch of service to let black people in. Mm, okay. See, that would have been meaningful. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I could have done something with that. But, um... Yeah, I mean, I was getting called nigger in boot camp, man, even if it was by my peers, you know what I'm saying? By the people in the service with you? Uh, the people that was joining, yeah. Damn. So they was recruits like I was, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you just go through stuff like that, man. Yeah. Be honest with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so what it did for me in terms of lessons was, like, when I make rank, I won't let that proliferate in our ranks. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The only way to stop it is to stop it. Mm -hmm. So they used to say, you know, when you in boot camp, you know, the RDC instructors, mm -hmm. they used to be like, not in my Navy. You know <laughs> yeah. But it's a hell of a thing to see your instructors or your chiefs, uh, those enlisted personnel that have made rank, 
mm. not do anything mm-hmm. when that happens. Yeah. So uh, I forget who said it, but uh, they said, you know, all it takes is for good men to do nothing or mm. to say nothing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're able to proliferate yeah. this world. And I kind of seen that, but um, I still kept grinding, kept my head down, and just kept trucking along with that, man. And, um, you know, when it was time for my academic school in the Navy, I graduated top of my class. Nice. So I got orders anywhere I wanted to, and I got stationed on board USS Kitty Hawk, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was cool, man. Um, so how many years you serve? I did eight total. Eight total years? Okay. Yeah. And so what was the biggest challenge you faced um, transitioning from coming out of the service back into what they call civilian life? I mean, when you're in the service, man, you don't have to worry about, you know, paying rent if you live on board a ship. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of the basics of getting back in the non-structured routine. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And just realizing certain language just don't translate mm-hmm. when you talk to people. So. It was a brief adjustment period, but I wouldn't say it was more than a few months. And yeah. then, uh, you know, just realizing, like, the training that I have, everybody else don't have. Don't have, yeah. Yeah, so, like, when you're in the Navy, like, everybody got the same training, so you can say certain stuff, and mm-hmm. it all matters because they all are familiar with what, you know, what you went through because they went through the same thing. Yeah, gotcha. But when you deal with, like, in the professional world, uh, they don't have, a lot of those guys don't have no military training. Women don't got no military training. Yeah. So when you say handle things at the lowest level, they don't always know what that means. They just yeah. jump the chain of command. <laughs> I'm going straight to my manager. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or they hiring boss, HR. And mm. it's like, man, that's not even how we normally do business. Um, so it was just transition period of learning stuff like that, man. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, they don't have training, Lawrence, you know, um, deal with them on their level now. Cause, yeah. You know, they're not on your level. Mm-hmm. Got you. So when you came back out, um, is that when you got into basketball? Nah, man, like, I was always into basketball from my youngest years. You know, like, I lived in Philly from the ages of 9 and 12. Um, okay. My aunt, she's an actress, so we moved out to Philadelphia because she had to do some some gigs mm. in Chicago and mm-hmm. TV shows. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I just always was in the hoop. And mm. then when I made it back to L.A. when I was 12, I just continued to hoop and mm-hmm. then you know, in, in high school, I started playing football as a freshman. Uh, my coach just didn't want me to make the basketball team. So mm-hmm. he just was like, I could teach you how to dribble. I could teach you how to shoot. And I was like, I do all those things. <laughs> and he was like, but I can't teach you how to grow. Man. Can't, can't Too short. Yeah. I was, I was like almost my height now. I was like 5'8", five, 5'6". Five, I'm like, bro, I could be a point guard, bro. And he was like, nah. Nah. I was hanging on the rim and he didn't care. So, oh, you had hops. Man, I was working on my boosties. Man. Yeah. I was on the Vince Carter workout. <laughs> Thousand calf phrases a day. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. No, that's crazy. I used to, I, I I loved playing basketball growing up, but once I got to high school, I kind of stopped. Um, my life kind of kind of switched on me once I got to high school. I, all my all my friends I grew up with um, through my grade school and middle school years, I had to stop hanging out with. Um, they got involved with gangs, and so that's like that, man. my parents wasn't having it. They said, "Yeah, you can't hang out with them no more." Um, I was going to a school that they knew that they couldn't go to. Um, I went to Benson, Jeff was where most of them went and Jeff wasn't even an option for me. I couldn't go there if I wanted to. Yeah. But I, I still stay around the game now cause I referee basketball. I've been refereeing for about, whoo, I say about 20 years, but the last 
14 years really seriously on the high school level. Man, that's dope. Yeah, so I love love the basketball and I love the ref. And I got to a pretty high level where I get some good games, so it's it's pretty tight, man. They don't call you, the fans don't call you no names or nothing when they don't get when the team don't get. The oh, you know they do. That's that's part of the game, you know. Uh, and the the worst is the the people and the fans who actually know you, yeah. and they call your name out. Yeah. <laughs> that's janky. Yeah, it's a trip, but it's all good because okay. once you once they figure out you know what you're doing, they kind of leave you alone. Yeah, they can't always get the call, man. No, they can't always get the call. That's the basketball. You, you know, basketball. You're just a biased fan, and so you know, I hear them doing the same things to me. Then I get home and I'm watching the game on TV and I'm yelling at the screen, oh. rooting for my team, saying the same stuff I hear them say to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a trip. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, it makes me look at the game a little different, though, when watching it, um, being that I'm official. But tell me about um, your experiences in the Navy. Um, do you still use any of that today yeah. in your life? Yeah, I do. Uh, so I was doing, like, air traffic control, navigation, lookout. Uh, it required me to look at blueprints and maps. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not necessarily navigating on boats anymore. But <laughs> when I went to Portland State, I got my degree in geography so I could be a cartographer, which is mm. the person that builds the maps. Oh, okay. So I look at data sets. I was looking at data sets in the Navy, um, real time, non-real time. Um, and I do that stuff now. Uh, I mean, I just don't do it on the same level, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, communication, like we'd have to monitor four or five different screens and talk to pilots while we navigate. Okay. So multitasking is a skill that I think is transferable to anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what I used to do. The only difference is <laughs> you in a combat zone in the Navy <laughs> versus being peacetime, you know, out in the real yeah. world. Oh, I want to look at this data. I want to look at that data. Oh, look at the crime stats. Not there <laughs> when the arrest being made, yeah. kicking doors in. You know, so it's not, it's not nearly as stressful, mm -hmm. but the skills are still measurable and, and still useful. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like being in the Navy, man, just on active duty, I had a chance to go country to country and see different parts of the world that I ordinarily wouldn't have been able to go to. Nice. So Australia, where they talk about the Tasmanians, mm -hmm. I was able to go down there. You know, mm -hmm. went to three different ports in Australia. Mm -hmm. I've been to uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I've been to Guam like nine times. Uh, South Korea, where all of our gear comes from, all the mm -hmm. new, every NFL jersey, mm -hmm. every college jersey, you know, they all being produced over there, man. So, you know, just being able to see what the world has to offer, man. Like mm -hmm. I was in, in uh, 2008, the Olympics was held in China. Mm -hmm. And they did the run under the torch in Hong Kong that year. You was out there? Oh, man. I was oh, hanging with the Chinese nationals. Kicking yeah. <laughs> <hard>. <laughs> that's right. And it was dope, man. Yeah. Like, it was just good, positive vibes, man. Just, mm. you got to see what Chinese culture was really about by being there, even if it was for a short time. Mm. You know what I mean? So... Those were just like valuable experiences, even if they didn't hold lessons. Mm -hmm. Like one of the lessons I learned in Japan amongst that culture was just they wore masks just if they had allergies they out of respect for you. Yeah. That's all it was, man. Like they didn't want to sneeze on you mm -hmm. being in tight quarters on a, on a train or something because they not a lot of people drive in Japan. You know, mm -hmm. people don't really take taxis. Everybody takes a train because of how good the network is. Mm -hmm. 
So I think American culture has a lot to learn from that. Um, yeah, I remember just watching people thwart themselves inside of uh, Walmart, throwing themselves. Like, I can't breathe. And it's like, fool, they was wearing masks in Japan out of respect for you, and you can't even do that when there's a virus. Yeah, so they've been on the COVID mask over there. I mean, it's it's <laughs> and it's respect. Like, yeah. I, I got a lot. As so I asked them, I remember riding trains going to Tokyo from um, Yokosuka, and I was just asking people, why are y'all wearing masks? And then they would take it down and be like, I'm not sick. Mm. I just have seasonal allergies yeah. in springtime and, you know, the cherry blossoms make me sneeze a lot. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to sneeze on you or yeah. a kid or whoever you with. And that's what I'm trying to say is just, you know, a very different perspective. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That they have yeah. versus what we have. So, yeah. So, that, yeah, that's crazy. Well, man, I appreciate you coming through, man. We're going to take a break right now and get a message from our sponsor, GMP Podcast Group the production team. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the basketball, how you got into entrepreneurship with your Stanfield Yard Maintenance. Cool. Discover GMP Podcast Group Studios, located at 2406 East Burnside Street in Portland, Oregon, offering a range of podcasting packages to suit your needs, starting at just $49 per hour for your basic setup, featuring a Rodecaster Pro audio console and SM7B microphones as well as options complete with camera operator and audio engineer expertise. Elevate your podcasting with multi-camera recording, plus we capture behind-the-scenes shots within the studio. Visit us at www.gmppodcastgroup.com and let GMP Podcast Studios be where your podcasting journey begins. This syndicate lyricist exists. Don't break one eye, baby. You just might miss history in the making from the making of this. Third, I guess it's welcome back to these words. So I'ma come well, like welcome back words for sure. Yeah. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the Thorn City Syndicate Spotlight Show. I'm your host, Thorn City Podcast Guy. I got my guy Lawrence in the building. What? How we doing, brother? Man, I'm solid. Yeah, man. So that's a little, I like to tell the people that little tune right there, that welcome back. I like to use that from a welcome back from the from the breaks. Um, that's a tune from an unreleased out, um, unreleased project from Third Twin, the artist I was managing. It's really how the Spotlight Show kind of started, um, helping him get his music career back in order, or actually not even that, getting his life back in order. And I kind of used his music to do it. Um, cause growing up, he done music his whole life and he stopped doing music and got hooked on pills and alcohol and, and my boy was doing bad, man. And so I had to do something for him. And so I, I wanted some music. So I decided to pay for my own album. So let's record some songs and little did I know that that would be the catalyst for him, you know, turning his life around. He's now six years plus clean. He's working a full-time job in the community. Uh, he's bought a house gays to be married and so yeah he really really did a full 360 man and so that is what led me to meet justin we worked on the music video together um, justin wrote the script and we went into some festivals and we won a few awards man and then COVID hit killed all the music stuff and justin called me one day and said man let's get into podcasting he was roommates with tim james the healthy roll show um his business wasn't doing so well and so they started a podcast uh, to market his businesses and services, his coaching and his uh, supplement business. And man, Tim James is really, really killing him right now. So shout out to Tim James over at the Healthy Roll Show. 
He's the reason we in the podcast and, and got the spotlight show going. It's all about the power of networking and forming strategic alliances. And so that's why we're here, brother. So tell me about um, the basketball. You started coaching too? Yeah. Uh, Where are you coach at? I was down there in L.A. I got okay. sponsored by the Clippers. Oh, tight. So, uh, we had the Junior Clippers at Robertson Park. Mm. I don't know if you know that area, but uh, that was right off of Pico and Robertson, not far from Hamilton High School in West L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my little stomping grounds. That's where I grew up for the most of my life, Yeah, um, teenage years and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah, I mean, when I realized, I, I mean, I started on the football team as a free safety. Okay. Um, but I preferred to play basketball, mm. you know, and my coach, heck, he didn't want to let me play. So, <laughs> so I like one every place. Yeah, <laughs> man, like, I'm, I'm going to run track then. So I ran track, <laughs> played football, and I just uh, joined like an AAU team, West Coast Showtime. Okay. And uh, from there, once my basketball season was over, I would just uh, coach. Mm. And I was coaching little league kids. You what know, ages? Ages like 8 to 12. Okay. And then we started stepping our game up. You know, once I became, you know, a mature adult, mm-hmm. uh, from like 17 to 18, I'll coach like the 15-year-olds okay. that, that wasn't just playing if they didn't make the team but wanted to hoop at Robertson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started coaching them. Nice. Boy, Richard Pruitt, shout out to him. He uh, he held it down um, with me. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up getting sponsored by the Clippers. They liked what we was doing, so yeah. they called them the Junior Clippers. Tight, that's tight. So, yeah, that's how it all started, man, is just uh, giving back to my community, you mm-hmm. know, with what I knew. Mm-hmm. And that's what I knew is just playing basketball. Nice. Yeah, I love basketball, man. It's definitely my favorite sport. I love football season. Um, it's just so short. Um, yeah. But I love the hoop. Um, like I said, I've been refing for a while now, so I've got to see some kids grow up from – from being, you know, to little tiny toddlers to going to college and playing overseas and, you know, some of them that made it to the NBA. And they, they always remember me every time I see them, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's tight. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me about the inception of the Stanfield Yard Maintenance, your your entrepreneur venture. Uh, as you know, I'm a geographer, so I look at, like, land masses through different lenses. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you got natural landscapes, you have man-made landscapes, and it just requires a different, you know, set of eyes for whatever landscape you're looking at. Mm. So when I got into landscaping, um, it kind of made it easy because I already look at space differently than the average person. Mm-hmm. So uh, my target market for Stanfield Yard Maintenance was the 98661 Vancouver, Washington area. Okay, over across the bridge. Yeah, I got pushed mm-hmm. out, man. I bought my house over there, and uh, I just wanted to beautify the neighborhood. I was watching builders build, mm-hmm. but the builders don't do landscaping. <laughs> no. They they leave, like, big rubble. I'm talking, like, you know, all kinds of rocks throughout your stuff, man. They don't care. And uh, so I wanted to beautify the neighborhood. I started... Uh, just cutting all my neighbor's grass, like about 15, 20 houses Mm -hmm. down the 47th street that I lived on. I would just cut them all. And I leave my business card inside their uh, mailbox or on their door. And it just grew. It grew from folks in the local neighborhood wanting me to do it to social media. I joined next door. I was on the next door app and uh, it grew from there. My clientele started growing. Mm -hmm. But like I was saying, my target market was old people. 
my my target market was the elderly because they're the forgotten. Mm -hmm. They might own a great big lot, but they don't have any sort of resources in terms of people in their family to help them maintain and beautify their house. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I would market myself on social media. That's how I would try to grow my clients. But the target amongst old people was people that were either disabled or on cancer, had cancer or something, mm. people that physically couldn't do it. So there were instances where I was doing work for free, mm. you know, but I was giving back to the neighborhood that needed it people. the most, mm -hmm. you know, and that's how I built it on the strength of my name. Nice. So how Stanfield was out there just grinding, mm -hmm. making sure that folks, you know, property looked good. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a disabled vet, so I'll be at home sometimes as a single dad. You know, so then when my daughter's at school, I have plenty of time to go knock out a few houses and, you know, edge and mow, mm -hmm. you know, rake some leaves, rake some pines, you know, lay some stuff down that they need, mm -hmm. um, you know, trim some stuff, nice. you know. So that's how it all started, man. But my target market was just helping the elderly people that couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. The young people that didn't want to do it, yeah, I would, I would get those calls on next door too, like, hey, man. You know, can you prune this tree? I'm like, that's that's landscaping. That's not yard maintenance. <laughs> that's not yard maintenance. Hey, that's not yard maintenance, man. So well, I'll pay you two hundred. I don't know about that. The state of Washington gonna want some of that, man. They gonna need they cut. Can't do that. <laughs> you know. So yeah, um, that's how it started, though, man. And then business grew. I didn't hire anybody because I ended up. I started the business like 2018, 2019 on September 1st, and then. Uh, COVID-19, as you know. Mm -hmm. So that kind of put a damper on stuff. But, you know, living in the Northwest, you can't operate. Your, your grass goes dormant in the wintertime anyway. Yeah. So there's nothing to cut. Nothing there's nothing to, to mow an edge yeah. anyway. So yeah. it's only a seasonal business. Seasonal. Yeah. And so it had started out as a hobby, man. Like I was saying, I, I was doing, you know, cutting my neighbor's grass because it was mm -hmm. brand new, high-rise, new development homes. We all looked the same cookie cutters next yeah. door. So I wanted everybody's stuff looking proper so my property value would go up. Yeah. So wait, would, would you just cut their yard and they didn't know you was cutting it? Yeah, they didn't They didn't call me or nothing. No, you just show up no, and I cut their yard? I was like, damn. <laughs> I, looked, I looked at their stuff. And I, every day I'm driving past, I'm like, damn, they're not going to do it? Damn. All right, man. So look, look, I'm just going to knock it out. Just, look, yeah. you you going to get it? Yeah. You going to get it? You gonna, so... That's how it started, man. Yeah. And so I was leaving business cards, and I couldn't even get a thank you from a yeah. lot of people. The mitigated audacity to not even say thank you, man. But my naval training, being the lowest man on the totem pole as an enlisted service member, taught me that hard work, you know, hard work, it builds a character. Mm -hmm. So even if I don't get the thank you, I didn't do it for a thank you. Yeah. I did it, and I might have had my own personal reasons for wanting the properties to look a certain way. Yeah. But at the end of the day, is it going to benefit you? Of course it is. You know, and so what's 20 minutes of my time worth, mm -hmm. you know, um, when the greater value was everybody driving through our neighborhood, like, damn, it's clean. Yeah. Who is doing this? Yeah, there you go. And so then I'm taking pictures of the whole block. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's <laughs> me. Yeah. Stanfield <laughs> Yard. And so then <laughs> folks on next door just wanted to get in on that. Like, hey, man, my yard's about that big. I could pay you $30. Look, I'm only going to mow and edge it. Yeah. I'm only going to mow and Well, that's good. I got a bin. You don't even have to take it away. Just dump it in my bin. <laughs> and so that, you know, on the lowest level, just helped me build up. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that's how it is. I mean, yeah, stop I stopped somewhere. doing it, though. I stopped doing it because uh, I got hit by a car. Oh, shit. 
I was uh opening I was at a chiropractic visit from my daughter and I was opening her door and uh this lady ran me up mm. and kept going. Damn. And uh so it tore both of my hips, it, it dislocated the shoulder and uh tore my bicep on my right arm. Mm. And, you know, it was at that point I knew I wasn't gonna continue to be doing grunt labor like I yeah. used to in my younger years. Yeah, just couldn't do it no more. Nah, man, it was one of the hardest challenges I had ever been confronted with because um, I don't know if you noticed, but you need your hips to just move. You need your hips. That's we don't, as young people, we don't think about hip pain because it. if you know you play football and you crack somebody, mm-hmm. you know you're like, man, I depleted him, but yeah. you <laughs> use your hips to go do that on me. So, you know, me being yes, a young man. guy, man, like. I didn't I didn't consider any of that uh, at that time, and it wasn't until I I couldn't do surgery on both hips at the same time, mm. um, so I had to do one, and then I had to do a shoulder, and then I had to do a bicep. Damn. And the recovery time for all those, mm. you know, is a substantial amount of time. So like, mm-hmm. you know, in those years of recovery, man, uh, I found out who I was. Yeah. So it all started from that one accident. Do you ever catch her? You ever to sue her at all? Oh, I mean, uh, I'm not an attorney. I can't give any sort of legal advice. It's an ongoing matter. But mm. yeah, I, still I, I, I caught her that day. Uh, her. Adrenaline uh, and military training had me run back mm. to my car, you know, record who she was, yeah. have presence of mind to at least identify the witness who saw it all, mm. and call 911 after recording the lady and getting her license plate. And she jumped lanes of traffic and all kinds of stuff, man. I couldn't believe it. Wow. 70 year old lady. Damn. And I was pissed because the cops were white like she was. Mm. And I don't have nothing against white folks. Um, but when you let white folks go mm-hmm. and you happen to be a white policeman, assuming that I'm in trouble as if I've done something wrong, mm-hmm. that's when I have a problem with that whole situation. Yeah. So uh, legally, it'll play itself out. I can't really go into yeah. more details, but. Um, gotcha. Yeah, man. It was just an unfortunate situation where somebody had ran me over. Yeah. So I know you said you're not, you can't give legal advice, but I know you've um, been into the legal advocacy and got a new podcast coming, The Commonwealth Show. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to get into some more about the creation of The Commonwealth Show and how you got into the whole legal field and all that good stuff. Introducing Thorn City Syndicate Management, your solution for brand management, social media promotions, digital content distribution, and podcast production. From shaping engaging content that resonates with your audience to amplifying your brand's reach through podcasting, we're your partners in driving success. We offer free strategy sessions and leverage our recording studio and personalized strategies to establish an online presence. Your brand's journey to the top starts with Thorn City Syndicate Management, where innovation meets results. Contact us now at www.thorncitysyndicate.com to embark on the future path of transforming your brand's future. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the Thorn City Syndicate Spotlight Show. Your host, Thorn City Podcast Guy, still here with my guy, Lawrence. So I know you've, you got a couple, I don't know, you might have more than a couple. You got some courtroom victories under your belt. Um, How did you get into that? 
Um, it started just based off like the need to do it myself. I didn't have the finance at the time to go get me an attorney for whatever legal battles I was having. Mm -hmm. um, family law was a struggle. Um, from family law, there was criminal, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, yeah, I started, when I started winning in the criminal venues, I don't know if that made a name for myself by doing that, mm -hmm. but yeah, um, we had a particular district attorney out of Clark County that got fired. Mm. He was head of the domestic violence unit. And, uh, he's the guy that does all your murder cases. His name's John Farah and he mm. lost his job doing that. Um, they reduced him to traffic tickets and misdemeanors. Mm. So then when I got struck by a vehicle and guess who, you know, what venue that's that LA. Oh, what? Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, Clark County wasn't having no parts of me at that point. Oh, yeah. Washington wasn't. No, nah, mm -hmm. they, they didn't even press charges on a lady or pursue it. They didn't even want to, mm -hmm. you know. And so uh, that's how that started. And then from there, you know, just different civil actions. Mm -hmm. I ended up suing the sheriffs out of Portland, Oregon. I was arrested once and then I was there. I was kept for like eight days and then... uh you know, they released me, but all the time I was in there, they wouldn't let me pray. Mm. So there's Christians that was in there wanting to pray on Sundays, and they was perfectly fine with that. But mm. when it came to me, they wouldn't give me any of that. So I started writing kites, and uh, like the Navy taught us, you know, handle things at the lowest level. Document everything. Mm -hmm. You know, if all you can do is file a grievance, file your grievance and get a copy of it. Mm -hmm. And then now you document it, said event according to you, based on what happened to you. Mm -hmm. So I use those pieces of evidence as litigation and leverage points in all of my cases mm -hmm. that I had against, you know, the sheriffs. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't suing for just me. I was suing for everybody in the world in the Ninth Circuit. Everybody like you. You know, that may be Buddhist, mm -hmm. Jewish, anything. Mm -hmm. And so I just said, hey, man, don't we all have a right to pray? And pray safely. Mm -hmm. And so then that became, you know, a turning point. I would dismiss that case only because uh, Miss Vonterstaggy, who is now Judge Vonterstaggy mm -hmm. um, in the Multnomah County Circuit Court, uh, she came to terms with me. <laughs> you know. Uh, you settled. Oh, I mean, I, I, <laughs> they were confused because there wasn't a dollar amount associated with what was going on. So I had him over a barrel. <laughs> And I wasn't, they couldn't say, he's doing it for money. Look, he's trying to get rich off us. Yeah. You know, so they couldn't, like, ras rationally identify why I would do such a thing. Mm -hmm. And so, because they're not used to that. They're just used to people that come in there and are greedy and only want money. But I was telling them this is about everyone's right to pray and to pray safely because not everybody that's arrested like myself is guilty of something. Mm -hmm. You could be arrested and not have done no wrong. Mm -hmm. So what if that's you? Mm -hmm. So that's who I fight for on the Commonwealth show. Is yeah. I fight for those people. I stand for those people and I try to empower those people um, as best I can without giving no legal advice but experiential advice. Mm -hmm. Whatever I've experienced, I can articulate in an intelligible tone mm -hmm. and you know, my audience can infer what I'm saying, mm -hmm. you know, and that's essentially what I'm trying to do is like, 
help educate the masses of these people that will be watching the show at some mm-hmm. point. Like, hey, you come in there and you dress well, you get familiar with the Black's Law Dictionary, mm-hmm. you know, you have an understanding of this book right here, mm-hmm. you know. Tell me about those books you got there. So this book right here is called Beyond the Grave. And Beyond the Grave, The Right Way and the Wrong Way of Leaving Money to Your Children and Others by Gerald Condon and Jeffrey Condon. Uh, both are esquires. I think they're brothers. Mm-hmm. But this basically tells you how to prepare to transition for not being here while you're alive. There are certain steps you can take to just ensure that all your wealth or everything you accumulate from cars to homes, real property, uh, it doesn't end up in probate court. There's a way around that. You don't have to end up in probate. You know, rich, wealthy people understand building a trust is one of the key elements to not do that. Mm. Because within your trust, you can have things listed out saying this property can be traded but never sold. Mm. If, you, if you don't want it ever sold or whatnot, you can, you know, identify with certain language what you want to have happen even when you're not here. Your will is just your last living testament, mm-hmm. you know, and so you could say, I want, you know, my money and my checking and savings to go to my wife or my kids. Now they're going to fight over that if you got multiple kids because they're going to break <laughs> it up into thirds. You've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. And you can still end up in probate because some states, based on state law, don't even respect the will as a probate. Like mm-hmm. you have to go through probate in front of a judge for them to adjudicate it and be like, yep, that's what he meant. That's what he said. Mm. You know, um, so there's just different legal avenues, I think, to procure that, man, and just mm, kind of gotcha. preserve what it is that you have while you're here. And that's what this book talks about. These are attorneys that give great advice. Yeah. So you ain't got to take my word for it. <laughs> delve into that book. book. Yeah, man. Nice. And what's this other book? This is the Black's Law uh, Dictionary. It's the fourth edition, man. It's pretty big, but. Yeah, it's a big one. This was one of the best ones, the fourth edition. Have you read the whole book? Not the whole oh, okay. thing, man. <laughs> I've taken a lot of what I needed out of there to yeah, get some government. You need, yeah. You know. <laughs> so, you know, because I familiarized myself with that, it gave me a certain level of jurisprudence and, mm-hmm. and understanding legalese without being no attorney. Yeah. Hitting the law library, mm-hmm. you know, looking up different cases, stare decisis, your most relevant cases in your circuit. Mm. will be talked about in the Supreme Court, the appellate court, and you need to know which court circuit you live in because mm-hmm. then you may find, you know, different cases that mirror yours. Mm-hmm. And if you do, those are the instances where you want to adapt some of that stuff and maybe insert that into, you know, your brief or mm-hmm. whatever legal filing you may be doing. Mm-hmm. But essentially, as like a pro se litigant, that's just the person that represents themselves. Mm-hmm. And... uh it is said by plenty of people in the legal community, a pro se litigant, you're only a fool. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you represent yourself, you know, you live by the sword, you're going to die yeah. by that. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. you have to be, you know, versed in law. I wouldn't say I'm versed in law. Um, I'm familiar with certain, you know, tactics and procedures that attorneys will use, you know, to preserve evidence or, you know, draft subpoenas or court judgments. But, you know, I'm not an attorney, man, and uh, though I have a legal zeal or passion to, you know, finish law school, mm. um, I'm not an attorney, so yeah. I don't want anybody to just take my words as, hey, man, he told me, you know, if I just file this motion <laughs> with an affidavit and include a judgment, 
that's gonna, gonna get me, you know, what I want to the promised land, and that is not true. That's not true. That is not true, man. Um, <laughs> you can have a judge laugh at you. Mm. You know, I, I had a judge in family law, uh, Mary Southern Wyatt, Multnomah County. It was family law. She told me right when I walked in to sit down and shut up. Mm. And I said, am I in the right uh, courtroom? Because <laughs> I thought this was family law. I wouldn't even talk to my children that way. Yeah. So, ma'am, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, she tried to sign me up for child support, and then I beat that. I mm. uh, beat that with a stick. And uh, I had the attorney general begging me not to sue them when I was done. Mm. You know, Jonathan Tucker. Yeah. You know, from Department of Justice out here, uh, Multnomah County. Yeah. Yeah, he begged me not to sue him. Mm. He seen what I was doing at federal court with Miss mm. Vonterstaggy, mm. how I had them wrapped up. <laughs> he was like, D who is this dude? Who is this guy? Like, who is he, bro? <laughs> Does anybody know who this man is? Who is he? Troubles. <laughs> who is this guy? And so, you know, they didn't respect me initially, but they do now. They do now. Well, hey, man, that's what y'all got to look forward to with the Commonwealth Show. Like he said, he's not a lawyer. But he's been through some things, and he's got some great information to share. So if you into court and you got to represent yourself, you might want to tune into the Commonwealth Show. You just might learn something. But we just going to wrap it up here, man. I'm going to recap what we got from today's episode. We talked about Lawrence's journey from the Navy into entrepreneurship and to becoming a podcast host. A little about his basketball. He shared some valuable information with us um, about his legal challenges. He's he's a um, being involved with um so man i appreciate you coming through man and sharing your insights and dropping some jewels on us man where can the people find you uh laces underscore 310 is my instagram if you guys are out there i don't really post anything but certain basketball videos that are pretty old at this point mm -hmm. um you know you can reach me on instagram you can follow me on facebook lawrence stanfield l i'm probably the only one out there mm -hmm. uh my profile icon is Aaron Yeager from Attack on Titan. So if you look me up and you're like, hey, this is, I, the dude I seen on the show ain't, ain't there. <laughs> it's me. You just got to add me, man. And yeah. Then, you know, you'll see all my other Navy photos and what have you. But it's mainly for me to just stay in contact with uh, friends and family, mm -hmm. everybody I served with overseas still. So nice. if you don't think I'm as active talking about the Commonwealth on there is reason for that. Got you. So any final words or advice? or insight for individuals dealing with legal challenges? Motivation is self-propelled, it's like a ship. That was my definition of motivation uh, when all my chiefs interviewed me in the Navy. Um, it's self-propelled, you know. If you wanna move forward, you gotta have the motivation and integrity within yourself to wanna move forward. Uh, nobody's gonna help you move forward outside of you. Um, yeah, I mean, you might be up against, I don't know, I was up against a heavy-handed prosecution before, man, about five different prosecutors from Lewis and Clark. You can win, man, mm -hmm. despite the odds, man. Uh, read that that book by Richard Wright, Always Outnumbered and Always Outgunned. Um, you know, I, I've seen various uh, difficulties in life, you know what I'm saying, from foster homes to uh, racial discrimination in the Navy. Um, I've been marginalized at Portland State. Mm -hmm. Um, but that doesn't give you an excuse to stop. You know, you got to get out there and continue to grind despite whatever odds you're up against. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I hear from all these, uh, professional athletes all the time on their podcasts and stuff when they interview Patrick Willis and 
you know, just, you know, Kawhi Leonard and these people, they experienced like one of their brothers, I think it was Patrick Willis, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think his brother or somebody got killed mm. when he was he was a youngster. Yeah. And uh, they asked him like, what was your reason for not doing drugs and doing that? And he said that, mm. you know, and we see too often, especially in Los Angeles, where there's a preponderance of gang banging. Mm-hmm. You ask some of them guys, why'd you, why'd you become a gang member? Why'd you jump off the porch and, and start banging? And they'd be like, oh, because I lost such and such. So my mom and dad wasn't there for me, so I just chose to do it. And it's like, that's a reason. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that should be a reason to go do that. It it can be your reason, but that could be the same catalyst reason that I have to not do that. Not do it. You know, you look at Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez, just, mm-hmm. you know, worlds apart. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And they had the same upbringing. They had they grew up in the same house, same environment, so you can't blame it on the environment or or lack thereof of money because they had that. Mm-hmm. But you can just see one person went off into drugs and cocaine and alcoholism, and then the other one didn't. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to articulate is like, be the positivity you want to see in the world, man. Just go for broke, man. Mm-hmm. Gotta Conti- fight. Yeah, man. Continue to fight, man. Gotta just fight. you gotta fight, man. Gotta fight, man. So yeah, y'all be on the lookout for the Commonwealth Show. It's in production with GMP Podcast Group, and we'll be coming to you soon. Like I like to say, I encourage my listeners to explore your passions, embrace innovation, and pursue entrepreneurship in your own unique way. Thanks for joining us. Explore the power of networking and find inspiration by following me at Thorn City Podcast Guy for the updates, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, and join the conversation today. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Thorn City Syndicate Spotlight Show as we continue to highlight individuals, businesses, brands, and podcasters. Don't forget to subscribe to the Thorn City Podcast Guy YouTube channel. Follow at Thorn City Syndicate, the management company, and at GMP Podcast Group, the production company as well. And don't forget to drop by www.thorncitysyndicate.com to schedule your free strategy sessions. So Thorn City Podcast Guy, highlight your boy. Right on, brother. Man, that was clutch, man. I appreciate y'all tuning in to another episode of the Thorn City Syndicate Spotlight Show, where we network and build connections, interviews, and discussions. Until next time, I like your boy, Thorn City Podcast Guy. I'm out. You remind me of a man.